Let's bow again. Father, thank you again for this morning. Thank you for the time we have to sing unto you and praise you and to worship you and to look into your word. And I pray as we do so, Lord God, that you would bless it, that you would help us understand uh, what you intended, that we would respond in a way that glorifies you. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have been studying the book of Nehemiah, and we have come to the very last message in Nehemiah. And uh, as I was prayerfully planning uh, the messages that we'll be sharing through December and also uh, what we might, which book we might go in next, uh, I felt like I wanted to uh, delay uh, the last message till next week. So we'll finish Nehemiah next week. And I wanted to share a psalm that, one, had to do with thankfulness, but secondly, most likely, was penned by the inspired author just prior to Nehemiah or around the exact same time. And so we're going to see that it flows together with what we have studied concerning the people and their sinfulness and then their repentance and then their sinfulness. And so uh, would you turn your Bibles with me to Psalm 107? Hey, Will? Psalm 107. Now, we're going to see how to get help from God. Now, certainly those who don't know the Lord need his help. They need salvation help. But we who know him, we need his help all the time. And we're going to see how to do so. And we're going to see from four examples of God's deliverance of those who are humbled. Again, Psalm 107. Now, with the Psalms, uh, we come to them. We know the, the term Psalms comes from the Greek word psalmoi, which originally meant to pluck a string. Uh, we know that the uh, Psalms were uh, Israel's inspired hymns. Uh, we have uh, those inspired by the Spirit bringing forth the Word of God, and that Word of God was set to music. Uh, they are music uh, inspired with inspired lyrics. Now, the Psalms are broken down into five books, and within those books we have 150 Psalms. And as we come to Psalm 107, this is the first Psalm of Book 5. The first psalm of book five. Now, the timing of this psalm, and I'll mention it a little later also, but the timing, it is thought that it was written after the Jews' exile and had captivity in Babylon and after they had come back to the land. So this is sometime after um, uh, Haggai, uh, Ezra, and maybe even Nehemiah in that area, sometime. So it is close to this same time that this was written. Indeed, um, we have in Psalm 106, which is the psalm beforehand, we have in verse uh, verse um, 47, uh, he says, Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations to give thanks to thy holy name and glory in thy praise. So they are in captivity in that psalm. But then we come to Psalm 107, and if you look in verses 2 and 3, it says, here, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary and gathered from the lands, from the east and the west, from the north and the south. And this reveals God's answered prayer in gathering these Jews from, I believe, their exiles, we'll say. And so as we look closely in here, we're going to see how to get help from God. But it's going to point us as believers, because this is a psalm to believers, although it's going to show those who are not saved, it's to believers, it's going to point us to giving thanks to the Lord for what he has done. So then again, Psalm 107. 
And now this psalm is, is quite long, so we're not going to look at every detail of it, but I believe we should gain a good understanding by the time we are done. Um, now before we start, I want to point out the structure of the psalm here. In verses 1 through 3, we have an introduction. And then in verse 43, we have a closing exhortation. And both of these, as we will see, are centered around uh, considering the loving kindness of the Lord. Both of these, the introduction and the end. And then in verses 4 through 32, we have four examples of those who were at the end of their rope, who were at the end of their rope and were humbled to the point they truly called upon the living God. And within those examples, they were delivered and saved. And ultimately, we are exhorted to give thanks in light of that deliverance in light of that deliverance. So we're going to see four differing examples. And we're going to see that these examples actually mirror uh, certainly where people are as unbelievers, but they also can mirror situations that we as believers get into where we need the Lord's help. We need the Lord's help. And so first of all, let's take a look at the opening exhortation. Notice what he says in verse 1. He says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary and gathered from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. And so he begins here with this phrase, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Now, you know we don't teach topical sermons here. We go through the word of God, but just so happens we are here uh, on Thanksgiving week and we want to be focused on giving thanks to the Lord. We want to focus on that. And so here we have this first statement, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Now, you might know, you might understand, or maybe you don't know, that this term L-O-R-D in large caps in the Old Testament, your Bibles will usually have a note in the beginning on how they've translated it. That speaks of Yahweh. And if it's L in the capital, but small O-R-D, that's Adonai, which means master. But Yahweh uh, speaks of, it's simply the Greek word to be. It is literally, I am. It is literally, I am. It speaks of self-existence. Indeed, in Exodus chapter 3, when Moses was at the burning bush and uh, and asked God, what, who should he tell the Israelites is the, is the name, right? Who is his name, right? And the Lord answers, et Yahweh, et Yahweh. Uh, et Yahweh, Asha, et Yahweh, which means I am who I am. I am who I am. And so we see here that the term I am speaks of the Lord, the self-existent one, uh, speaks of deity. And so here we have, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. And we should be saying that to one another, not in a rote fashion, but we should be desiring to give thanks to the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. And notice we have uh, the reasoning why. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. First of all, and in, in, in Hebrew, Kai, uh, because he says here, uh, for he is good. We give thanks to the Lord, first of all, because he's good. Because he's good. It's primarily God's goodness that motivates us to praise him and thank him. And if you've never come to the Lord, if you've never experienced salvation goodness, uh, or if you've lost sight of it, today you're going to hear about it. And maybe today you will come to know his goodness, and that will bring you to thankfulness. So here we see throughout Scripture that the Lord is good. The Lord is good. You know, the the God we serve, he is good. And it's primarily his goodness that causes us to give thanks to him, because his goodness is manifest in so many different areas. Uh, 
you know that his character is good, and he is good. His deeds are characterized as good. His redeemed people are good. His word is good, right? And let me share some passages concerning his uh, goodness. And we even know along those lines that we've been saved under good deeds, that we would walk in those, right? Ephesians, and also in the book of Titus. So let me share a few passages first of all. Um, in Psalm 25, uh, verse 8, we see good and upright is the Lord. And feel free to turn to these if you like. I've got a couple psalms here, and then uh, we're going to move to Exodus 33. But a couple psalms and then to Exodus 33. Good and upright is the Lord. That's his nature. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. That's Psalm 25, verse 8. And then we certainly know uh, Psalm 34, where David talks about the angel of the Lord encamping around those who fear him, right? And he, and he goes on, and he says in Psalm 34, verse 8, O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. That's Psalm 34, verses 8 to 10. We know that uh, in, the, in the Psalms later on, Psalm 119, uh, the psalmist writes in verse 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep thy word. Thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. Isn't that great? Psalm 119, 67, 68. And then up a little farther in verse 71 of Psalm 19. It was good that I was afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. And when you can get to that point, we'll see this today in our passage. When you realize that when God allows affliction or his discipline, whatever it might be, it's good that it happens because he uses it for good. He uses it for good. We know our God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. Now, don't miss, miss, miss that this goodness is primarily manifest in the context of salvation. It's primarily manifest in the context of salvation. Psalm 86, turn to Psalm 86. Psalm 86, verse 4. Make glad the soul of thy servant, for to thee, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For thou, O Lord, art good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon thee. Tremendous. We have forgiveness, as we will see, that comes through the person of Jesus Christ who died for our sins. His goodness is manifest in his son Jesus who came and died for our sins. And what about uh, Exodus chapter 33? I mentioned to go there. Let's turn there to Exodus 33. And you might remember Moses is praying. He prays uh, that God would show him his glory. And it's very interesting in what we hear in the response to this. It's Exodus 33, verse 18. Then Moses said, I pray thee, show me thy glory. And then notice what God says to him. The Lord says to him, verse 19. And he said, I myself will make what? All my goodness pass before you. He says here, and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and show compassion on whom I'll show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. 
Then verse 21, then the Lord said, behold, there is a place uh, by me and you shall stand there on the rock and it will come about when my glory is passing by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And then in chapter 34, verse 1, now the Lord said to Moses, cut out for yourselves the two stone tablets like the former ones, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets which you shattered. By the way, God, he does remind Moses about that part there, right? (laughs) But he's still gracious. Um, So be ready by morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. And no man is to come up with you, nor let any man be seen anywhere on the mountain. Even the flocks and the herds may not graze in front of the mountain. So he cut out two stone tablets like the former ones, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took the two stone tablets in his hand. Verse 5. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression and sin, yet by, yet he will be, will, will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, and on the grandchildren of the third and fourth generations. And Moses made haste to bow low towards the earth and worship. And so we see, as he had all his goodness pass by, he proclaimed these tremendous truths about his loving kindness, his grace, his compassion, and his forgiveness. His forgiveness. His goodness is primarily revealed in the forgiveness, in the forgiveness of sins. So wonderful. I even even look at another portion. Psalm. Turn back a little bit to Psalm 103. And this is a tremendous psalm. Tremendous psalm. Psalm 103. A psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Isn't that wonderful? who pardons all your iniquities. Makes you want to jump up and click your heels and say amen, doesn't it? Who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Tremendous, tremendous. And another passage, I'll read this for you in Joel 2. This is uh, speaking of the day of the Lord. We know that day is coming. We know that uh, the day of the Lord will come. We see that in in Second Peter uh, uh, declared for sure. And we know at the end of that day he's going to save all Israel. 
We know he's a gracious God who, who will bring about their redemption after he purifies them, after he brings them through the fire and the tribulation. Now in Joel chapter 2 verse 13, we have this statement about the day of the Lord. It's fierce and it's, 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 it's a day that you're not going to be able to stand in. Um, but then he says in Joel 2.13, And rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. He's a gracious God who forgives. The Lord's goodness is manifest in his saving loving kindness, his loyal love, his hesed. Notice our passage back to Psalm 107. This is exactly what he says. I'll give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And then notice again, he explains more. For his loving kindness is everlasting. This is the Hebrew word chesed. It, it speaks of his loyal covenant-keeping love. It speaks of his love which is manifest in keeping his promises, more specifically in the sphere of salvation, salvation that comes through the person of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so we have his loving kindness, his chesed is everlasting, everlasting. And we saw uh, already in Psalm 103 that loving kindness. We saw it in, in Joel chapter 2, his loving kindness related to the forgiveness of sins, the forgiveness of sins. We know from 1 John chapter 4, by this the love of God, verse 9, was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or satisfaction with mercy for our sins. The propitiation for our sins. The cross and forgiveness are manifestations of his goodness and loving kindness. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. We should be thinking about our salvation in Christ, be thinking about his goodness and giving thanks to him. And we're going to see some examples here as we move on, some examples of those who were brought to the, to the pit, to the bottom, and they turned and trusted in them. Therefore, as they turned and were saved through calling upon the name of the Lord in different circumstances, that we too should give thanks to the Lord, that we too should give thanks to the Lord. So let's go back to our passage. Verse 1 uh, for, uh, Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And again, this is probably written, as we'll see, sometime around when Nehemiah was around, or right before that, Ezra possibly. And he says here, notice that, and, and, and speaking of that, look at verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Now we are the redeemed, spiritually speaking, but there were those who were redeemed certainly from Egypt, but those who were redeemed from Egypt, most of them fell in the wilderness out of with unbelief. These redeemed here appear to be those who were redeemed in a different circumstance and have had changed hearts in a sense. He says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary and gathered from the lands, from the east and the west, from the north and the south. And I believe he's speaking of that, uh, those that have been brought back from the 70-year exile in Babylon for their sin. The price has been paid to bring them back in a sense. They've been delivered in a sense. And it's clear that those by and large in Haggai and Ezra and here in Nehemiah were believers. There were some problems. They need to be disciplined. There were issues. There were some bad guys, but they were believers and uh, they responded to the word of God. And so then let the redeemed of the Lord, and that would be us now redeemed in Jesus Christ, the price paid, right? 
say so. Let us say so. Let us be the ones that say so. So this book, as we're going to see, this 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 psalm is written to believers. Verse 2, let the redeemed Lord say so. Then look down in verse 42 and 43. The upright shall see it. Now he's talking about how God takes the to, turns things to nothing and takes it and turns it back, turns it to, to t- destroys, lets things be destroyed, then he takes that and uses it that people might be saved. He says here, the upright will see it and are glad, but all unrighteousness shuts its mouth. Who is wise? Let him give heed to these things and consider, here we go, the loving kindnesses of the Lord. The upright are those who are righteous in Christ, or those who who, who believed in the in, in the seed of Eve's seed that was would would foreshadow the Christ, or would come through Eve's seed, uh, the the gospel, the the suffering servant. Uh, these believers at this time had the truth from Isaiah uh, that there would be one who would who would suffer, that all our iniquities would be put on him. We are all like sheep who've gone astray, but the Lord has caused the iniquities of us all to fall on him. That would point to, and we see that happen, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so those who are upright, those who are righteous now, we see in Christ, who are glad, joyful, when they see it, they're going to be glad. And so who is wise, verse 43 in the end, let him give heed to these things and consider the loving kindnesses of the Lord. And that's what I want us to do. I want us to consider the loving kindnesses of the Lord, especially when we reflect and give thanks. So then, this is what this psalm is about. And now at this point, the Lord is going to give four generalized illustrations and examples of the sinful Israelites who were delivered. They were brought low to the bottom. They were humbled to the point they would cry out to the Lord for true deliverance, and God would deliver them ultimately in Christ. And then we would then see that and give praise and thankfulness to him for it. And you might identify with one of these groups and in these groups, we're going to have four of them. We're going to see, and I've got your, your notes are pretty, pretty complex there. They got a lot of stuff on there, but there's four. I think we're going to find a pattern in all four of these. We're going to find a pattern. And the pattern goes like this. First of all, we see the state of complete lostness and inability to save oneself. Complete lostness, inability to save oneself. Then we see God's solution comes when they humble themselves and cry to Him. And then there is a specific deliverance in that. And then there is an exhortation to praise and worship the Lord for what he has done. And for those of us who are already, uh, who believe and already been delivered, this should be very instructive. It should cause us to give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. So let's take a look at the first example here. The first in need of, uh, deliverance. It's the lost, hungry soul, hopelessly wandering. Verse 4, they wandered in the wilderness in a desert region. They did not find their way to an inhabited land city. They were hungry and thirsty. That's verse 5. Their soul fainted within them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distresses. He led them also by a straight way to go to an inhabited city. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. For he has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. And so here, first of all, we see their state. They wandered in the wilderness, the desert region. And notice this word, they did not find a way. 
to an inhabited city. They were hungry and thirsty, verse 5, their souls fainted within them. They speaks of someone, possibly these Jews could identify with, certainly back in their exile, uh, uh, in their sinful state uh, while they're there. But yet here he's pointing to someone, basically the illustration is someone who's lost. They can't find their way. They did not find a way. They're lost. The situation is getting desperate. They are hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them, and they're at their end. They're at their end. And I believe figuratively, uh, it's probably not talking about the rebellious Jews in the Exodus. I don't think it's talking about them because of their, their attitudes, because they never did turn as a nation in, 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 the, in the wilderness. Um, I believe it's pointing to the state of those who may be looking for salvation. They need, they're looking. They're lost. They're hungry. Their souls are hungry and thirsty. But they're fainting within them. It's a desperate situation. They did not find a way on their own. They're not going to find it. And by the way, if you are seeking to be saved and you are seeking on your own, you will never find it. It is only found through the truth revealed concerning Jesus Christ in the gospel. And so here, they did not find a way. And I think there are many people out there in this world who are looking for something. They know their souls are hungry and thirsty. They know they're empty, right? Uh, but they're trying through their own effort, and they are hopelessly wandering. And maybe this is you. Maybe this is you. You are at the end. You are hopelessly wandering. You're about to, it's, it's almost done. But notice what happens. Uh, this is so important. As they're, as they're about to faint, the end of verse 5, their soul fainted within them. Verse 6, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. That is so important. This is key. Until you humbly get to the end of yourself and cry out to the Lord, you will never find him. You will never find the Lord. You need to humbly get to the end of yourself and cry out to him, the Lord, the great I am, the the, the, the self-existent one revealed in Scripture uh, when they uh, talked to Jesus. He said, I am. He's the Lord. We know that Jesus is Lord, right? And so they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And notice what he did. He delivered them out of their distresses. He led them also by a straight way to go to a habitation. Now, this is an, this is an illustration. It's a, it's, a, it's an example, but it shows us principles and points here. It's metaphoric. They're lost. Uh, they're, they're, they're at the, at their wits end and they cry out to the Lord and he delivers them and he delivers them in the right way, a straight way, an upright way. And then from this, uh, here's the exhortation based on having cried out to him. Verse, uh, eight, let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindnesses, loving kindness and for the wonders to the sons of men. For he has noticed this satisfied, the thirsty soul, and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. You know, maybe this speaks of you, uh, the Lord God. Uh, you were at your wit's end. You're empty. You, you're completely a uh, 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 lost, and you cried out to the Lord, and he saved you, and he saved you. Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. He says there, let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and his wonders to the sons of men. Oh, the wonders of God to the sons of men, that he would send Jesus Christ to die for our sins, that he would freely pay the full price for our sins, that he would redeem us from the pit, and that this offer is for everyone, uh, his wonders to the sons of men. 
And, ha- and if you have responded, if you have been found through crying out to the Lord Jesus Christ, give thanks to the Lord for his uh, loving kindness. And we have this, uh, this exhortation in Isaiah 55. Turn to Isaiah 55. For those who are actually hungry, you know you need salvation. You are shamed in your sin. You need a savior. You're on your way to hell. You need a savior, but you can't find him. You're, you're tried everything. You just need to call it to the Lord. Notice what he says here in Isaiah 55. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why do you spend for what is not bread and your wages for that for that which does not satisfy? For what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercy shown David. Then look at verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous his man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and, and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Some of you are trying to do all kinds of religious stuff. Jesus would say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe and cry out to him at the pit. He is the only one who can save you. Believe in him, and he will save you. And then you, as we together, will uh, give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and his wonders to the sons of men. You think about yourself and how wicked and wretched we are and how desperately lost we were and and the Lord God saved us. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to him. Notice he says, for he has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he is filled with what is good. Amen. Amen. So we have the first illustration, the desperately lost yet hungry soul who will never find salvation until they're fully humbled and turn to Jesus Christ. And then we see it should bring us to give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his loving kindness. This is what we ought to consider. Then notice we have a second illustration. This uh, speaks of of another uh, situation that will cause us to give thanks to God. It's the prisoner living in darkness at death's door in chains because of rejection of God's word. Severely humbled by God and at the end of self. Look at verse 10. There were those who dwelt in darkness in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery and chains, because, here you go, they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he humbled their heart with labor. They stumbled and there was none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death. He broke their bands apart. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. For he has shattered the gates of bronze and cut bars of iron asunder. So we see their state. Uh, first of all, they were those who dwelt in darkness and shadow of death, prisoners in misery. We see that state even later on, verse 10. We see that here and then later on spoken of. They're in the shadow of darkness and death. I believe this speaks of this, the, the darkness and separation that sin brings and the, the result, which is death. You know, the Israelites uh, in the time of the Lord Jesus were spoken of in this way. 
In Matthew chapter 4, verse 16, I'll read this for you. The people were sitting in darkness, saw a great light, and those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, sin brings misery and bondage. Sin brings misery and bondage. And I mentioned this earlier, but Jesus said, if you commit sin, you are a slave to sin, John 8. And you are, and this group here is particularly, dwelling in darkness in the edge of eternal death, prisoners in misery and chains. They're in this state. Now why? Because, verse 11, they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. This is speaking of people who had an opportunity to know the word of God, and they rebelled against it. This certainly describes the Jews, doesn't it? certainly does. The term spurn speaks of treating with contempt, and the counsel of the Most High speaks of his revealed will, his word, the word of God. And so they rebelled as evidenced by treating his word with contempt. And maybe you're doing the same way. You don't care about God's word. You push it aside. It's, it's not important to you. And you are in your sins. You were in dwelling in darkness on the verge of eternal death, prisoner in misery and chains. Prisoner in misery and chains. But God is so gracious to allow the consequences of sin and rebellion against him and his word to bear upon us. Isn't that, isn't he gracious? It says in verse 12, therefore he humbled their heart with labor. This certainly would have spoken of the Jews who had gone into exile. Certainly would have spoken about them. Uh, and they stumbled, and there was none to help. They're getting to the bottom, and you need to get to the bottom of yourself. You need to be humbled before you turn to the Lord. We'll say, well, hopefully before that, but here, you need to get to the bottom of yourself. And notice what happens. Verse 13, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of all, out of their, out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their bands apart. Here they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them. You know, you're in trouble if you are in your sins. If you haven't come to Jesus Christ, you are in trouble. You are sitting in darkness. You're in the shadow of death. You're on the verge of eternal separation from the living God and punishment. You're a prisoner to your sins. You can't stop. You can't stop. You are a prisoner to your sins. And if you will humbly call out to Jesus Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He will deliver you from your sins. You will be delivered from the prison of sin and ultimate consequences of death. John 8, and I mentioned this before, but let's read that actually. Let's go to John 8, uh, verse 31. Jesus therefore said to those Jews who had believed him. Now, on a side note, uh, if you ever want to do a study in John that's kind of interesting, look at the term believe. There are people in John who believe but don't believe. <laughs> they actually, they believe that, the, in essence, what he's saying, but they don't believe. They haven't trusted in Christ. And you see this example here. Jesus there said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, the truth shall make you free. They, that's those who believe, answered him, we are Abraham's offspring and have never yet, he says here, and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you shall become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave. 
Sin is the slave of sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. If therefore the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Some of you know the truth. You play the church game. You're around, and you've, but you've rejected the truth. You have rejected the truth in Jesus Christ. And you're a prisoner to your sin. If you humble yourself and call out to Lord Jesus to save you, he will save you. The Son sets you free. You are free indeed. And so then, uh, notice here, they, uh, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death. He broke their bands apart. And then notice what we should do and what they were to do. Verse 15, let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness <coughs> and for his wonders to the sons of men, for he has shattered the gates of bronze. He has cut bars of iron asunder. Be set free. Trust in Jesus Christ. He will set you free from your sin no matter what sin it is. He will set you free. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Son sets you free. You are free indeed. So we've had the first illustration, the desperately lost, hungry soul who will never find salvation until they're humbled and turn to Jesus. And we have the prisoner living in darkness at death's door in chains because they've rejected the word, severely disciplined, if they're not severely, but severely, severely humbled at the end of their cells. It comes to Christ. And what are we to do? Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and his wonders to the sons of men. Now notice we have a third illustration in our passage. We have the fool uh, who is afflicted near death because of rebellion and sin. Verse 17. Fools, because of their rebellious way and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all kinds of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved, he saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and his wonders to the sons of men. Let them also offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his works with joyful singing. So here he says, fools, fools, because of their rebellious way, because of their iniquities, we see they were afflicted. You see, sin brings about trouble. The way the transgressor is hard. Because of their iniquities, they're afflicted. They were fools because of the rebellious way, or literally way of rebellion. The direction they walk is rebellion. And that rebellion concludes the idea of transgression. These were fools simply because they lived a rebellious life. And secondly, because of their iniquities. And that term speaks of sin, which leads to affliction. End of verse 17, and they were afflicted. And it's interesting, this stem in the Hebrew here speaks of this affliction that they brought that upon themselves. They brought this affliction through their sins and their rebellious way. You see, sin brings affliction. If you choose to reject Christ and you go contrary to his ways, you will be afflicted. You will be afflicted. And notice there's more. Verse 18 their soul abhorred all kinds of food. This is points to, I believe, depression probably. Um, yet, you see, if you choose to go your own way, you're going to be depressed, by the way. And um, actually, that's a good thing. Now, the world says take these drugs and feel better, 
And the Lord says, first, certainly to believers, be anxious for nothing but in everything through prayer and supplication. Um, uh, thanks, make, thanksgiving, make your request known to God. But for the non-believer, this needs to get them to the bottom of themselves so they would turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice end of verse 18, and they drew near to the gates of death. They're not eating, they're depressed, and they're almost dying. And then notice what happens in verse 19. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. That's the solution. That's the solution. Call upon the Lord humbly for the forgiveness of sins. That's the solution to your sin problem. That's the solution to your what the affliction that was caused by your sin and the depression in this temporal life. That's the solution. Here we see they called upon him, and notice what happens. Middle of 19, he saved them out of their distresses. Remember, they cried to the Lord in their trouble. In their trouble, they cried to the Lord. And so the consequences of sin brings affliction, depression, distress, destruction. You bring it upon yourself, but when you turn to Jesus, he will save you out of your afflictions and trouble. Notice what it says in verse 20, very interesting. He sent his word and healed them, and he delivered them from their destructions. You see, when you cry to Jesus for salvation from your sin, the way he heals you from sinful thoughts and action is by sending his word to you. That's how he does it. And how does the Lord send his word? He sends it through his people primarily, those who are called to share and to teach and to preach, those who are blessed to bring the good news. There are some of you that have maybe been delivered, but you put yourself back in the muck and mire because you're not listening to him through his word. You're experiencing afflictions, depression, trouble, destructions. Turn to the Lord and allow his word to heal you. Allow his word to heal you. He sent his word and healed them. He does it through his word. Jesus will heal you. Heal you through his word. Now notice we have the same exhortation to those who were humbled and turned and were healed by the Lord. Verse 21, let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for the wonders his wonders to the sons of men. Give thanks to the Lord. Be praising him for healing you. Some of us need to remember from where we've come from. And we need to give thanks to the Lord for what he has done for us. The rebellious fools who've been saved. Praise the Lord. And then notice he acts two, two um, more exhortations. Verse 22. Let them also offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his works with joyful singing. Isn't that great? When you get saved from your foolish, rebellious way in sin, offer sacrifices of thanksgiving to the Lord. And, we, and that's what we do when we come together. And tell of his works with joyful singing. We come here and we sing. To God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life in atonement for sin and opened the life gate that we may go. And praise the Lord, praise the Lord, that the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Share with joyful singing unto him. So then in our passage, we have the first illustration, desperately lost, thirsty soul, never find salvation until they're fully humbled and turned to Jesus. Second illustration, the prisoner living in darkness at death's door in chains because of rejecting God's word, severely humbled at the end of themselves, coming to salvation in the Lord alone. And then the third illustration, the fool, afflicted, depressed, distressed, destroying themselves near death, rebellion and sin, who were brought to the bottom through the consequences of their sin, and then given God's word saved by Jesus.
were to consider and give thanks and offer sacrifices and praise and tell of his works with joyful singing. And then notice the last one. I think the last one uh, it certainly uh, applies to those who don't know the Lord, but there's a lot of application for us too. The last one, those who are overwhelmed by circumstance, melted in misery and at wit's end. Verse 23, those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they have seen the works of the Lord and his wonders in, in the deep. For he spoke and raised up the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They rose up the heavens, verse 26. Uh, they rose up to the heavens. They went down to the depths. Their soul melted away in their misery. They reeled and staggered like a drunken man and at their wits end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distresses. He caused the storm to be still, so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they were quiet. So he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Let them extol him also in the congregation of the people and praise him at the seat of the elders. So you have these sailors here in a terrible storm. Uh, they're, they're, they're at the end of their rope, life-threatening storm, and it reveals the reality. They're not in control. They're not in control. He says, those who go down to the sea in ships who do business great waters, those are sailors. They've seen the works of the Lord, his, his wonders in the deep. A simple illustration, uh, they can't ignore the reality of God. You know, if you are, you know, uh, uh, in a, that type of work, you're a s- s- seaman or whatever it might be, you're out there, you see uh, the, the great waves and the storms, you know something beyond you. You know that. And certainly even with flying in certain situations, as I used to be a, be a pilot here. They've seen the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. And notice, he explains, For he spoke and raised up a stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They rose up to the heavens. They went down to the depths. This is a bad storm. And the Lord is bringing it about. Their soul melted away in their misery. They reeled and staggered like a drunken man, and they were at their wits' end. They're in misery, reeling at their wits' end. That means to be swallowed up or ruined. It's about to happen. Their circumstances here have come upon them, and it's not because of their own actions. That's kind of interesting. They're just sailors. They're out doing their job, okay? And they know God is sovereign over it. They've seen the works of the Lord. And it has caused them at this point to get to the end of themselves. To the end of themselves. And that's where we need to get. And that's where we need to be at all times. At the end of ourselves where we're trusting in him completely. Notice the same theme here throughout verse 28. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. Same thing. Exact same thing we've seen. They cried to the Lord in their trouble. They were brought to the lowest of low. They turned to the Lord and what does the Lord do? Wonderful. Middle of 28. And he brought them out of their distresses. And how did he do it? He caused the storm to be still so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Folks, God is in control of everything. Every circumstance that comes upon you, every storm in this life, he has either ordained or he has allowed. And no matter what is happening in your life, if you are willing to get to the bottom of yourself and humble yourself and cry out to the Lord, certainly for salvation help, but also in everything else for help, uh, he will come to your aid. 
Then they were glad. Notice the result. Because they were quiet, speaking of the waves. So he, that's the Lord, guided them to their desired haven. Isn't that great? That's great. Isn't that what we want? We want peace in the midst of our difficulties. I mentioned the verse earlier, be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Cry out to the Lord in your trouble and he will bring peace even in the midst of the storm. And for us believers, things come upon us and we get blindsided. Difficulties, whether it's physical, whether it's relational, whether it's at work, whether it's uh, church, whatever it might be. And we need to cry out to the Lord and trust him. He will take care of it. He will help us. He will help us. He says he delivered them to their desired haven. They cried to the Lord in their trouble. Are you crying to the Lord in your trouble? We need to cry to the Lord in our trouble. And then notice the exhortation again. Verse 31, let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Same thing, right? Give thanks for his loving kindness, certainly salvation in Christ, his wonders to the sons of men. But we need to remember, certainly that was deliverance from circumstance, but our ultimate deliverance in Christ. And notice some additional comments here, verse 32. Let them, that's these sailors, those who've been delivered from the storm, the trouble, let them extol him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the seat of the elders. The term extol means to lift up. Lift up the Lord on high in the congregation. That's the gathering of believers. Uh, it's what we do when we come together corporately. We gather to lift him up. And in a parallel statement, praise him at the seat of elders. The seat of elders spoke of the place of those highly respected uh, in Israel. Uh, they were to praise the Lord among the highly respected. Raise him up. Praise him. Maybe some of you have been brought low through circumstances and you are at the bottom. Cry out to the Lord Jesus for salvation first. And then give thanks to him for his loving kindness, for saving you from your sin. And maybe some of us believers have been brought low and need to cry out to the Lord. Cry out to him and then give him thanks for his deliverance. So then, the Lord takes horrible things that come upon us and turns it to the greatest good. That man might cry unto him in complete brokenness. And that's where we need to be on a continual basis. Uh, broken in, in, in our own self-sufficiency but trusting in him completely. Give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and his wonders to the sons of men. Okay, well, we're running out of time, but uh, let me just summarize the last uh, uh, set of verses here, the last 10 verses. I'm just going to walk through them briefly. He's going to give kind of an overview of what God does behind the scenes. Notice he turns plenty to poverty at first because of wickedness. Verse 33, he changes rivers into a wilderness and springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who dwell in it. He makes things go bad because of sin. He turns plenty to poverty. But notice what he does in corollary fashion. He changes, verse 35, wilderness into a pool of water and dry land into springs of water. Now we have this idea of changing again. He makes... And there he makes the hungry to dwell so that they may establish and inhabit a city and sow fields and plant vineyards and gather a fruitful harvest. 
The Lord takes those who are poor in spirit, spiritually bankrupt, and blesses them. He feeds them and establishes them. And it says here, he blesses them and they multiply greatly, verse 38, and he does not let their cattle decrease. And notice he also protects, verse 39, when they are diminished and bowed down through opposition, misery and sorrow, he pours contempt upon princes. He makes them wander in pathless waste, but he sets the needy securely on high and away from affliction and makes his families like a flock. When his people who have humbly responded to him are diminished, bowed down, oppressed, misery and sorrow, the Lord pours contempt on those who cause it and makes them wander in pathless waste. The Lord is on the side of the humble. The Lord is on the side of his flock. Then verse 42, the upright shall see it and are glad, but all unrighteousness shuts its mouth. Interesting statement. In light of turning plenty to poverty because of sin and poverty to plenty because of a relationship with him, the upright are going to see it and be glad. They're going to see it, ultimately, what God is doing behind the scenes. We're going to rejoice. But the unrighteous will be, in contrast, silenced, shuts its mouth. And so we have the last verse, verse 43. Who is wise? Let him give heed to these things and consider the loving kindnesses of the Lord. Are you wise? Well, we know the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One. And if you're wise because of relationship with the Lord, then here's a command. Let him give heed to these things. Let's listen. Let's listen and heed these things. Learn what God is teaching through this passage. Remember, it speaks of non-believers being humble to the max and turning to God and responding. But the psalm is for believers to heed the same principles. We should be giving thanks to him for what he has done. And folks, within the body of Christ, there's not enough true humility. My brothers and sisters, not enough lowness. You see, we're not adequate to consider anything that's coming from ourselves. We need to cry out to the Lord in our inadequacy and then trust him because he's faithful. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. We need to learn and heed these things and be crying out to the Lord day in and day out and giving thanks to him and considering his loving kindnesses day in and day out for what he has done through his son Jesus for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you have done through your son Jesus for us. Thank you so much that we are like these who were absolutely in misery and chains and bound and lost, Lord God, because of our sin. And you, through your son Jesus Christ, have delivered us. We praise you and thank you for what you have done through your son Jesus. Father, I pray for anyone who is not saved, who is uh, mirroring these truths you've revealed in your word i pray they would be humbled they would call out to you call out to your son for salvation lord jesus save me i pray for that I pray this in your son's precious name amen